Welcome to the Event Tech Podcast, where we explore the ever-evolving world of event technology every week. This show is brought to you by Endless Events, the event AV company that doesn't suck. Now, let's talk tech. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Event Tech Podcast. I am joined by the volatile Brant Kruger of Event Technology Consulting today. And that gentleman over there is the ruthless Will Curran of Endless Events. We're going to be kind of ruthless, I think, a little bit today. Um, in, our, in our rants a little bit today. But, yeah, super excited to see you. And um, we're talking a little bit about customer service as an event technology platform. Like, it's not Web3. It's not AR, VR. It's not, you know, even data security, which we love talking about. We're, we want to argue why the number one feature for event technologies is customer service. Yeah, and this is something that's been rattling around in my head for a while, as things often do. There's a lot of room in there. It's a lot of empty space, so things <laughs> rattle around quite, quite a bit <laughs> up <laughs> in <laughs> there. So, so um, you know, there's a few things that have come together. Just my experience over the course of the last couple of years as we've, we've gone to online platforms. Um, but then even going back prior to that with, you know, where the, the hip event tech was the event app. Mm-hmm. And then most recently, I'm working on a project right now that I can't go into yet. But it's, it's, it's a market analysis of a, a section of event technology mm-hmm. um, that I hope will be released publicly at some point. Um, and digging around in that, I'm realizing just how often I bump into customer service problems uh, in our event technology. Mm-hmm. And so you and I have talked about in the past this idea that like when you look at an event app you know, for your event, 80% of them have the same basic functionality, you know, mm-hmm. or, or all of them have 80% of the same basic functionality. You can see your schedule, you can look at maps, maybe there's some audience engagement, maybe there's some networking, those kinds of things. And then there's that 20% of like some unique features and functionality that make each one a little bit different. Same with online event platforms for the last two years, right? We've got 200 plus event platforms, 80% of them, you can do Brady Bunch boxes, you can do chat, Mm -hmm. you can do uh, maybe a little bit of networking, maybe some breakout rooms. And then there's 20% features and functionality that vary. So to a certain extent, you can put on a great event using whatever technology you use, right? You can make the best of it, you know, whatever your choice. But then the difference between a good event and a great event is that 20% of features and functionality that matches your event. And what it's got me thinking about, though, more and more is that one of those features that needs to be in that 80%, the, the, the thing that like is the, okay, this should be standard, <laughs> is it, right? Is good customer service, not True. only in the, in the pre-sales era, but the pre-sales after the sale has been made, you know, the onboarding, you know, learning how to use the technology mm-hmm. properly. And then most importantly, especially when we're talking about event platforms and things like that, day of support mm-hmm. and really digging in. We get so flashy, flashy with the, with the features and functionality. We get blinded by all of that when really the most important thing that we can be looking at is customer service. Well, especially if you're implementing it all on your own, right? Like, you know, this is one area, I mean, like selfishly, that like Endless, like recognize that we were like seeing all these platforms were like this cost, they're overwhelmed. Like in 2020, I made a lot of sense for crappy customer service, right? Like they were overwhelmed. They had 400% increase in customers. Things got nutty. Everyone was panicking. 
And, you know, that's when we really came in and we're like, okay, well, we'll just do everything for you. And the platforms were happy because they're like, good, I can't hire enough support reps right now. But now that we're like two years beyond this and like and beyond, I don't see it getting better immediately. I'm not hearing, you know, amazing stories about customer support. And like, in fact, I hear almost, yeah, the complete opposite that it's always these ugh, crappy customer sports, <laughs> right. you know, situations. And, 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 you know, we've got a couple, I know both of us have, have a couple of different stories. So I think it'd be fair just to share a couple of examples of the kind of stuff that we're talking about, um, that are red flags. Uh, and then obviously at the, you know, we can try and turn it around and say, okay, what can we doing better about this? But for me, you know, the ones that are the most frustrating is, you know, and this, this is one that I've told on this podcast before we, you know, we, I think we dedicated even a whole episode to it. Probably. Um, uh, was was a, almost exactly a year ago. Um, so a year into the pandemic, so not even two years, you know, so a year ago, um, running into a situation working with one of the incumbent online mm. event platforms. So one of the five that has been around pre-2020. So not a newbie, not a rookie. Um, and the, our day of support was just horrendous. Uh, you know, basically we were locked out of the platform. We couldn't get our feeds in. We're calling the guy's not answering his phone because he's in a slightly different time zone, like not on the other side of the world's different, but like slightly different, like US based. Mm -hmm. And, you know, wasn't answering the phone the day of our event, you know, and then once we did get a hold of him, it was like, um, everything looks good on our end. It's like, okay, well, that's, that's unhelpful because it's not working. <laughs> it's not working. You know, and you know, it's like, did you try retyping the address? Yes, multiple times. You know, we had like, because hmm. because of the thing we were working on, I had like 40 different, because we had primaries and backups, I had like 40 different RTMP, you know, links and all that kind of stuff. We tried all of them. We tried all the backups. We typed them hand by hand. We cut and it pasted not a them. Good time. I mean, all of that stuff. Right. And so basically, and then, you know, the, the program was about to start. We were still locked out and didn't have the ability to actually stream from our location. And then finally, we got like one machine up and running on one of the 40 links. And we were just like, okay, everybody head over here, go to this link, and we'll make it all go. And then we just stayed on that one link all day with like no backup for a couple of <laughs> hours. It was so, I called my wife that night and was just, just like that was the most stressful thing I've done in 20 years. Wow. Like being that feeling of helplessness of being locked out of your event with the audience inside, basically <laughs> inside the venue, you're locked out and you can't, you know, you can't get to the stage uh, to, to make it all go. What's ironic because that's actually happened to me, I think, at one point yeah. in physical life. <laughs> And and that we we literally were like the best possible case scenario. We were at a corporate building with a giant uh, you know internet pipe. We had their head of IT for a global organization like there in the room, you know, trying to help us troubleshoot it. Um, you know, we had confirmation that nothing had changed on their end from from setup. You know, all of these things, so we could prove basically it was not anything on our end. And they still were like, well, oh, looks good on our end. Well, and I, yeah, I, I and I'll I'll try to see if I can find the link to the, the episode so they can hear the because your story is incredible, like how it, how it goes into it. But it's like I think one thing that you're like um, uncovering is like when it comes to this customer service element, the piece that's sometimes missing, right? They might have great onboarding. They might have great implementation. But like a lot of these companies are built to be software companies, not to be event companies. And event companies require like and you'll see this in like a lot of uh, support packages and SLAs and or which are service level agreements with uh, with companies in terms of their service, you know. 
you have to pay extra to have someone like wake up at 6 a.m. when you're waking up and then be there the entire event until midnight when the after party, you know, is done. And, you know, I think that in a lot of ways, the reason why they charge extra for that is because they, you know, they're, they're, they want to be a software company. They want to like hand you the software, make sure it works and then be done with it. But I think in reality, like if you want to be a great software company in the future, today, any day, you got to have great customer service um, on here too. One of my one of my running gags for years has been that software as a service, like they 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 they're heavy on the software and light on the service because <laughs> yeah. they're you know and and when I first started, when I went out on my own, I had this grand idea that I was going to be doing a ton of consulting for event tech companies, so not just on the planner and and design side, but for actual companies. And what blew me away with the first few clients that I had was how often the mentality was, we want to make we've got this great brand new software. We're going to make it, and then we're going to sit back and watch the money roll in. <laughs> and nope. like that was literally the attitude of like once we get this up and running and we promote it and we do a little marketing, then the money's just going to roll in. And no thought being that. given to how they're going to support it, how they're going to hold people's hand. You know, who's going to enter the data? Well, they are. You know, mm -hmm. the, the planners will just enter in all the data. And what I've observed over the course of my career is that many, many, many planners are perfectly willing to pay extra to have their hand held by the white glove mm -hmm. and to take because it's one less thing they have to worry about. They have to worry about their sponsors and their stakeholders, their internal stakeholders, their external stakeholders, their executives, their attendees. Venues, they have so many venue, things on their yeah. plate. Can I pay an extra $2,000 to have you handle it? Great. Now, there's plenty of planners that are like, no, I want to do it myself. I want the cheapest possible way. I'm going to DIY the heck out of this thing. I'm going to get best in breed of every possible aspect yeah. of it. And uh, and they love it. They do it. You know, that's that's the way they do it. But there's way more, I think, that are willing to, you know, find a little extra money in the budget to have a little more service, a little more security, mm -hmm. and a little more white glove. Totally. So, like, we obviously talk about horror stories a lot, but I think there's a positive example. And this isn't a, like, you know, like, I think we try to be as unbiased on the podcast calling out specific software. So I'll use a non-in-events industry software. Um, so, you know, I've been a HubSpot customer for... 10 years or something like that now. And when I first signed up, you know, like we were a small little customer. But what's interesting is that if you look at how much I'm spending on HubSpot, it's the equivalent of a lot of these platforms. In fact, I think most event platforms and event apps, things like sometimes cost more than what I pay in HubSpot for a whole year. And I'm in this software like almost every day and it runs my business, right? And what I found is one reason why I always want to come back and just continue renewing, not switch over to Marketo or Pardot or anything like that, is first, there's a lot of data in there, so it'd be a pain in the butt to try to get it all out. So there's a little bit of a lock-in factor. But the next thing is that the customer service is so good. And I'm not talking about just like, I can click the help button and again, answer on it. It's, you know, and the fact that like, I can say I'm a technical person, don't give me a a generic respond, you know, like when I'm like, I really have broken this and tried everything, please tell me how to do this, right? Um, it's really, really good. But one thing I love about it, this is what I think is missing in a lot of softwares. And I think there's a couple event companies uh, that are starting to go towards this, but they, they have an incredible academy 
that what I can do is I can give my employees and say, here, here's this amazing tool that they update every year that has videos and training classes and quizzes and a certification where you get a certificate. And I can tell my employees like, hey, go through this. So then the best part about it is that that limits the amount of customer service that they need. Because if you look at HubSpot, you know, they, I think they do now, but in the beginning, they, they didn't want to be the company that set up your HubSpot platform. They relied on their partners to do it. Hey, hire a marketing agency. They'll set it up for you. But I think the thing is that they worked really well that they didn't need to do customers who didn't need to do that because they took these trainings they got really good at software and i would bet and maybe there's some status maybe if you google hubspot academy and reduction in support tickets i bet you their training classes reduce the amount of support tickets needed and makes people good at using it but again i think that's you know most people say well that's not customer service i'm like yes it is because they took the time to put all this content together um create all the systems in place you know the quizzing system the support system it ties to your profile like that sort of stuff is really really important and i think that the more that software companies can do that the less that it will also require because like you and i are technical and we get locked out and have terrible customer service experiences i can't imagine for the person who's like yeah everything's good to go i built it all out and then they show up on their event and something goes wrong and they have no idea they don't know what html is css is or javascript or they don't know how to like force refresh their cookies right uh i think that that's really where a next level of customer service comes in and i think hubspot's a great example that companies need to move move towards their model well, let's kind of let's kind of step through this. So, so that as people are working on RFPs and things like that, questions that they should be asking uh, to try and establish, like, okay, is this going to be a uh, you know some event technology that's going to be well supported? Um, and I think you touched on it just just there just now is that onboarding process. What mm-hmm. is the onboarding process look like? So, you know, some of the companies that I'm looking at for this report. Oh, yeah. As soon as you sign the contract, basically, we arrange a private Zoom for you and your staff. We'll do a full walkthrough and demo. And then we're there, you know, we're there 24-7. You know, if you ever need anything beyond that. And if somebody new joins the team, we are happy to, we do these things every week. So they're just happy, you know, they can just come on in and do another one. And then there's like... Um, yeah, we've got some uh, videos on our website that you can look at. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, so the, the distance between those is, yeah, is vast. Totally. They totally. may be really good videos, but, you know, and but <laughs> can it be, can't it be and, you know, have all the videos on the website and the really good onboarding? Totally. I would also ask, too, like, if they are using some sort of passive content, like HubSpot does with their, like, training certification, I'd ask them, like, when's the last time they were updated? Because I've also seen, like, so I'll use an example of a non-events in your software that um, my team absolutely hates, and I apologize to everybody unless it has to use the software. It's called Workflow Max. It's one of the few tools out there that connects to, like, Zero, which is our accounting software, allows us to do budgeting and all these complex things that we, we really want to do. Well, you know, I had all the employees like, oh, hey, guys, look, there's, like, a certification where you can learn a software. And people went through it, and they're like, this looks totally different than what the software looks like right now. And I felt so bad because I'm like, well, like this is good. Maybe I'll give you a general idea of what they're doing. But I'm like, you can't have this like videos that are like really outdated. That's why I really love that. Like that custom onboard. I want to be able to know that like, yeah, if I just toss, if I CC you over to somebody on your team, like for example, I'll keep using HubSpot example. We have like a point of contact an account executive and a success manager. We hardly ever talk to the account executive more, but we talk to our success manager. They set up a monthly call with us so we can literally add anybody we want. We can talk about anything, even marketing strategy related. But one thing I love about it is I have that one person that I get a new employee and I can say, oh, by the way, you know, meet XYZ person if you need anything aside from maybe a general sport ticket, reach out to them, right? And they're, and they're always happy to hop on the call. We never utilize it because, you know, we're pretty advanced, but – 
to know that that's there for the one in a million scenarios, like that's pretty nice to to feel. For sure, for sure. I want to take I want to take just one half a step back, and that we actually skipped a section of the of of this process, and, <laughs> and that the, is the, the presale. Sales. Yeah, the presale. Yeah. So so the other thing that I was bl- I've been blown away with lately is the inability to actually get a hold of someone in sales. Oh my god. <laughs> that, that you know, and I get it. Some of these companies are really big, like really big with you know hundreds of thousands of employees and things like that, but. All I'm asking is that you factor that in. So if you're actually struggling to get a hold of somebody at company X, even if they're like the recognized brand leader of whatever it is you're researching, if you're struggling to get a hold of them during the sales process, you know, the point where they're trying to get your business, how are they going to be in there? You know, I would be very skeptical of of how they're going to be in the post-sale process. That's such a good point. I'll use another. Uh, I'm the, like the non-events industry example. You're doing software. a great job. No, it's, um, it's good. It's good there, to, to use those examples. What software was I looking? At? I was looking at. Oh, I was looking at sales commission software that can like auto collect, like auto uh, calculate people's sales commissions based on like the deal data that's in HubSpot. And this is like a very common. Like there are only five six players in this space. Um, and there's ones that are like definitely more roll your own, simplistic, cheap. I reached out to one that I was like, this is really powerful. You're paying a little bit more money. I don't remember if their pricing was up on site, but I remember it being like, I respected what they were doing. Like I was like, this is probably the best player. I want to demo with this company. And I remember I filled out a form and like submitted it and I didn't hear anything <laughs> like for at all. Like it, I don't remember if I even got a confirmation email, but I remember it just kind of went nowhere. And I was like, what the heck? I went back and submitted it again. And then, then I think I heard from them. But I, another scenario of how this has worked, and I saw the one that was even worse, is that we were actually working on a new forecasting software. You can tell like I touch every part of this, marketing, sales, finance, everything like that. We're working on like forecasting where our cash flow is, all those things like that, right? And we found this software. We're like, holy crap. This does exactly what we need it to do. We're ready to buy. In fact, I think they had their pricing on their website. And it was like, yeah, we can probably afford this. But they required a demo in the sales conversation to move forward. So we reached out. We set up a meeting. And they just emailed back and said, oh, unfortunately, we don't service customers like you. We only service seed stage, like early investment companies that are looking to do this. And I was just like, it says how much your software costs. I can afford that. I want this software don't you dare tell me I can't use this. And like, if it does, it should say like in big letters, we only service this kind of company on, it was like nowhere to be found. And granted, I also know that like endless itself is kind of vague in how we do this too, right? Like we primarily focus on corporate events. We constantly get hit up for like weddings, bar mitzvahs, things like that, right? All the time. But it was just so frustrating that I, you know, these companies that don't reach out to you or just like, you know, they just disqualify you without even having a conversation. And I'm like, guys, like I'm ready to give you money. Like, come on, like, let's go, let's make this happen. But I, I, the missing the demo, never hearing from people is the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> it's so annoying. <laughs> no, I, I, I hear it and I feel it. And, and, and I've, I've, I've absolutely been there. And so it's, it's fascinating to me to see in, in the interest of, of efficiency, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, you know, as you and I were talking beforehand, we thought maybe, maybe these companies weren't responding because they were ruling me out as not being a potential oh, yeah, yeah. client. But like, how do you rule someone out from name, email, name of company and, you know, and, that, yeah. and phone number? Cause they, maybe they're, maybe they're numbers. like LinkedIn researching yeah. you and they're like, you know, yeah. Oh, but the, you never know sometimes you just, but that's never time know. being spent. So how is that more efficient? So if they're yeah, bothering true. to like LinkedIn stalk me to find out what I do, then they'll see that I'm a consultant, which means I don't, I'm not a company. 
I'm potentially representing multiple companies. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's very so true. So if anything, that should make me more uh, more, more attractive. Qualified. But yeah. uh, we've, I think we've driven that one into the ground. But yeah. it, it does. It, it is fascinating to me, and it does seem to be the larger the company and the older the company, there tends to be this um, – uh, this this disconnect because the newer companies are hungrier, and mm-hmm. so especially at the sales stage, they're, they're they're Johnny on the spot. But how hard is it to have an auto response that just says, "We got your request"? <laughs> Dead simple, like literally no response. Yeah. And so one one of these companies that I was dealing with not only didn't respond to the web form, I called them, and the only option was to leave a message, and they didn't return my call. And then I actually LinkedIn stalked three of their employees and sent them private emails saying, I really want to talk to you about your software. Would you be able to you know, nudge me or point me in the right direction and got no response from them yeah. either? It's like if I was a person who wanted to use their software you had stopped a long time and ago. wasn't out at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, you know? totally. No, you're right because, yeah, it's, it, it, it's how much work literally to do. But you know what? Let's look at the bright side of this whole situation. If this is happening, right, like you said, if it's happening the pre-sale and it's crappy service, like – Think about the onboard and then think about the emergency you have during the event and and maybe even the support you get after the event as well. But, you know, sometimes I try to see these as, you know, really good signs to be like, maybe I shouldn't be working with this company. Maybe they're not the best fit um, on here, too. But the, the flip side, you said like the jolly on the spot, like smaller companies, too. You also have to be careful because they're so in need of sales. They got to get their revenue in. Sometimes they'll like do thin. amazing crust. Uh, service and they'll look wow it's amazing and then you totally get blindsided because they don't have 24 access support teams they don't have a ticketing software they don't have uh, a 24 7 call line you don't get a dedicated account rep or that dedicated account rep has a hundred accounts because they don't are quite at the level where they can you know they financially made it to, to have less so i think you also have to be careful on both sides it's funny like i think we're going to end up creating like a here's all the warning signs and here's all the positive signs and you just have to make your best gut right. call yeah, I mean, and, and that's exactly it. I mean, there's no guarantee on any of this stuff. I mean, and you could have the best sales experience in the world and then have terrible follow-up. But I think it is definitely a warning flag if you can't even get a hold of them at the sales stage mm-hmm. uh, that, that, they're, that the, uh, the, the retention rate could be, uh, could be an issue. Totally, totally. So we talked pre-sale. We talked a little bit about onboarding. So now, like, maybe implementation and setting up the platform itself and the softwares and things like that. Like what sort of things should people kind of be wary some are thinking about when they go into that? Yeah. I mean, once again, you're looking at, you know, how much, how much am I going to have to do? How much are you going to help me do? And so it's interesting to see the mix of that once again, ranging from, well, yeah, basically once we get you set up uh, with that initial call, uh, then we've got a chat line and some things on our website. You know <laughs> that basically once you get through that initial onboarding, you're pretty much on your own. Um, other companies implement tiers, which again, I know plenty of planners that are like, okay, it costs a couple little bit more to get you know full access and twenty four seven phone support and things like that. Okay, great, let's do okay. that. You know, so so paying attention next would be you know what is that day to day support look like in the time between the sales uh, after the onboarding and when my event happens. So what's that kind of day-to-day support going to look like in, in between times in the, in the days leading up to my event? And I think I think it's important to 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 map out what your timeline is going to look like, right? Like put together when you need to have things done. If you want to have your exhibitors get early access a week before, and you want your you know your staff to get access a month ahead, right? Like you need to communicate these things to the platform too, because you know you when you're looking at the timelines and things like that, they might also say like this is unreasonable. And 
one of the things that I think is always really, really helpful is if you're not sure, if you're not confident that they're going to hit the deadlines and, you know, or, or they don't provide examples of how they've done it, don't hesitate to say, hey, can you bring my ops person that you're going to assign me to as part of this? And I just want to talk to them. I want to see what their vibe is like. And, you know, like, it's funny how like us as a, an event company, sometimes we are like, well, we don't know who your staff's going to be and all these things like that. And that's totally understandable. But, you know, if, if you, as long as you're open to the idea of saying like, okay, this might not be my staff specifically, but can you bring someone on the operations side that talks? What does this look like? How long does this look like? Like, you know, like they should be able to speak really truthfully to this stuff rather than, oh, hey, like just believing everything in sales. Because I've also seen it where the salesperson disconnects the operations person and then they're like, there's a total disconnect and, oh, there's no way we could have done that in time. And now you're hosed because you're on the signed contract and you're ready to go, right? Um, and now you're either putting more staff towards it personally or hiring a company to do it. Um, that can be really dangerous, I think, or, or scary. And that's something we see in the in the in-person events uh, world as well of hotels and venues and things like that where – you know, the hotel salesperson is like, oh, yeah, 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 we can totally do that. And then, you know, day of your event, the engineer's like, I have no idea why they told you we could do that. We can't possibly do that. Totally. We, we, that's, that's, it's physically impossible to do what they just said you could do. And that's why I think it's helpful to get a lot of stuff in writing, right? So, like, I think that it's really, really important for you to have a really defined scope. Um, you know, we, we talk about this, and I'll give a little insight into the law world and the liability world. Right now, but um, a lot, you know, like for example, a lot of lawyers will say, "Hey, make your scope of work as vague as possible because it prevent protects you that in case you know you can't do what you need to do or something has changed, you might have that legal wiggle room and say, no, we we technically we provided you a software and that's all that's in the scope of work is we'll provide you a software, right? But in reality, like you were like." No, I needed it to, you know, wave and say their name when they first opened up the page and, you know, dance to them and played, you know, happy, happy, killjoy. Or I don't know. I should think of something totally random, right? If you needed that specific thing, put it in your scope of work because that's also what's going to protect you. But also, too, that scope of work gets handed down to the ops team. So they'll see that immediately and know, like, I have to get this done. But just a full, I think you have to be careful not to fall into the trap of getting a very vague scope of work and then being like, but I need this. And then they're like, well, we never promised you could, we could do that for you. So that's my tip is always put everything in as detailed as possible. Companies in the legal departments don't like it because they want to be as vague as possible to protect themselves. But, you know, if it's actually able to be done easily, they'll totally put in the scope of work. Same reason why uh, we talked about uh, like uh, on AV quotes like years ago now was this like how long have we been doing this podcast now forever <laughs> um, we talked about like don't put just microphone on the quote put like SM58 wireless right or a specific thing because then they can just show up and be like yeah there's your microphone and you're like but I need it to be wireless and you're like oh you didn't specify that I'd give you a wired one there's a this is it comes from a, it's a computer science mainly uh, cartoon called XKCD but it's a lot of really geeky stuff and they're just talking about that the, it can be difficult to to explain to people the difference between the easy and the virtually impossible and so that <laughs> it's it's a it's a programmer working at her desk and the guy comes up behind her and is like when a user takes a photo the app should check whether they're in a national park and she says sure that's that's an easy GIS look up uh, give me a few hours and then check whether the photo is of a bird. Uh, I'll need a research team in five years. <laughs> it's like, and those two things sound very easy and sound very simple. And, and we run into that kind of thing all the time in, in, in technology. Totally, totally. So, um, and, and, and I, I think one tip I have, I think when it comes to the implementation of things too, is just like, 
make sure you have a clear communication system, right? Like hopefully you're not doing this all back and forth via email. Make sure you have clear deadlines, have a task system to use, like you know, build a base camp for your event, put them on those deadlines. So then that way they hit the deadlines you need to and have a clear, concise system. But also to like a place where they can ask you quick questions and don't have to go through the formalities of email. Like that's one area that I think that, you know, like if you're talking about how you want to communicate and do your stuff, I think that's a great conversation to have in the sales department. So how are we going to communicate? Am I going to be having a weekly Zoom with you on Mondays or, you know, are we just primarily doing this via email? Can I join a group Slack and I can add a bunch of employees? We can ask quick questions. Like what does this exactly look like that I'm going to get this implementation support? Because I think having like a good communication plan is probably up there with the like – getting the scope exactly right too like it's pretty mission critical you know if you if, if they don't communicate the right way so like for example like i would never hire a company that's like oh yeah we're just gonna do this via email and i say oh well i want a weekly huddle to check on the work check on the to-dos i want you to also use our base camp to do our tools and they go oh we don't do that and i'd be like okay well i don't want to work with you then <laughs> right and for some people they might be like I only want to do phone because I want to hear your voice. I want to hear you and talk to you all the time. Or I don't want to chat. And we'll talk about like maybe on-site support for the events itself. But like these a lot of companies are relying on like chat bots and chat things at the bottom right. And, you know, from a scale perspective, it's nice, but not from a user perspective sometimes. Right. Well, we've kind of drifted into it, but it, it feels like the next stage really is the day of. Like what's the day of support on your mm-hmm. event? And for me, again, going back to that example I was just talking about of, of the none of the links looking, one of the real one of the other frustrations of that day was that we're like, okay, so what's our next step? Like where do we go from here? And the guy was like, ah, there's yeah, nothing. Okay, who can we talk to? Like, who's the next person that we can talk to? Like, is there an escalation? You know, because we're, oh, wow. we can't go live. There's nothing happening. Who do we talk to? Well, there's not really anybody else you can talk to. So really establishing on day of event, like, what is the chain of who's my person that's not only who's my person that's going to be there to field my question at 6 o'clock in the morning, but then who's the next person in line? How do, what's the escalation chain look like? How hard is it to get to someone who truly is looking at the back end on the engineering side is able to say, oh, yeah, no, we're seeing you trying to connect, but it's not happening because of X, Y, and Z, or we're not even seeing you trying to connect at all, which doesn't make any sense, you know, those kinds of things. How do you escalate a problem on the day of your event. That reminds me a lot of, uh, you know, when you're planning traditional events, like I, and sorry, my cat's going crazy. He, he special guest Wally on the podcast today. Um, so when they talk about like planning a traditional in-person, event, I learned about this when I was planning events in college for the ASU undie run, for example. And we, we always had on the back of our lanyards, we had this radio code, right? Because we're like literally, it's a pretty big college party, right? Like a ton of things can go wrong, right? It's a public event, you know, like, we had to have a t- super tight security plan. And what was cool is that we knew there's this perfect level of escalation, right? Like it made it clear that like if there was like, for example, an active shooter, right? Like what would you do? Where would you go? If there was a fire, who's what channel? And like there was always one person you could call that could make like the call to say cut off the event. Like nope, make everybody leave, like shut off the music, right? And there was always that person that had that control. And I think like – we forget that, like, yeah, that makes sense for, like, you know, safety and security reasons, but we don't think about it on the event technology side. It's creating, like you said, the escalation plan. Like, who do I have like, – can I eventually get to the CEO if no one else can fix this, right? And that might be excessive, right, especially talking to some of these massive companies. But, you know, can I get to the level of, like, I'm talking to the person who does – head of product – 
when one feature just completely goes down. And they're the ones who can ultimately task that if a, pro a feature breaks, they can task an engineering team like overnight to make it happen and make it fixed, right? Um, but we, we, I think we forget about that as event professionals is like, yeah, who's our escalation plan? Because again, these are software companies. They're trying to like be all software, no service, right? So I think just avoid, avoid that as much as possible. And, and there's going to be, yeah, there's going to be uh, versions of things that have no day of support. I mean, you know, for, for all the wonder and goodness that is Zoom for, you know, for basic level phone connectivity, good luck trying to get a hold of a real live oh person on, if there's a problem the day of your event. And you're, that's the risk that you're taking. Now, one of the reasons that I have was a Zoom user even before 2020 is that of all of the platforms, it's very, very stable. And it's very, very easy for people to connect. And usually when they can't, it's something that's on their end. So it's, you know, that's, that's a trade-off that I'm willing to make is that I, because it is so ubiquitous, it's easy to get on all platforms. People have seem to seem to have the least <laughs> trouble connecting to it. Um, uh, you know, I'm willing to make that trade-off. But if that's not the case, you know, that, that, that was only through hard proof of like, you know, this has been solid and stable. And the fact that, that they were able to have, ha you know, handle like 600% growth uh, in, in, in early 2020 without getting fail whales or whatever the Zoom equivalent of a fail whale is, um, for anybody that even remembers the fail whale. Zoom booms, right? <laughs> you know, is, is pretty amazing. So just, you know, being aware that if you are going to go with more of a DIY solution um, or not pay for the extra, you know, tier, there's, you know, then you're taking a risk. It's kind of like insurance, you know, you know, yeah, it's, it's great. If you, you know, if you don't need it, then it's a terrible waste of money. But when you need it, you know, it's there for you. Totally. And, and one thing I think to think about when it comes to this, and I'm, I, I can probably make this statement, I, I'll, I'll confidently be quoted saying this, is that Zoom is, is very simple, right? You connect to a video call, it has very basic features, right? Now they're adding more and more features, and they're probably doing very, very selectively. But a lot of these platforms are extremely complex. A lot of them are web-based as well. And all these companies are doing so many different things and you know customizing their platforms in so many different ways because everyone needs customizability. I don't think a single platform in the events industry is as perfectly rock solid as like a, 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 sim, a simple tool that just one single thing. So the more your platform does everything, talk about like the David and Goliath and the master of none uh, arguments that we've done before, is that like, you know, even I think the most long running event technology company with the most stable platform, if it does a lot of things, chances are something's going to go wrong. Right, like even even as much as I praise HubSpot and I love HubSpot, probably every couple of days to see a thing that says like, "Hey, our records are sinking slower than they usually are. Please bear with us. Watch our status website, you know, and things like that." And it's always over communicated. But even HubSpot, which I can again like, is my poster child for support and great experience as a user, has problems. And so I think you need to be prepared that something is gonna go wrong. And yeah, anybody who's been in events more than a day and a half uh, knows <laughs> <Murphy's> <laughs> knows that. And even if you have only been in events for a day and a half, you probably know that something <laughs> always goes wrong. Um, so it'd be easy to actually close it there. But I do think that there's one more aspect of customer service that often gets overlooked. Ooh, and under after event? After event. Ooh, okay. So what are you and, thinking? Well, so specifically, the things that I think about is... Um, now, you know, especially with online events, uh, we're generating a tremendous amount of data. 
And there's a lot of platforms out there that are like, we've got all this data, data, data. It's amazing data. Think of all the data. It's a great data. And then afterwards, you're just left with like a dashboard and some report generators. And planners are like, I don't know what to do with all this an data. Excel got, list of just attendee names. I've got Excel names. spreadsheets. I've got, you know. It's a, so another place to look for good customer service is that after event, now what? And so being able to step you through how to create custom reports, but not just how to, but how to help you to start thinking about it. Like, you know, really educating to you is the power of data and what can be done with it. And here are examples of ways that you might use this kind of data. And when we look at your data and we see X, Y, and Z, based on other events that we've looked at, Here's what you might be able to interpret it. So the more that, again, they can kind of be your partner and walk mm. you through and, and hold your hand through the process, um, I think is that going to, that's going to be enormously helpful rather than just going, here's all the data in the world and Good here's luck. a dashboard. And if you want to make reports, go for it. Mm. I'll add in, too, that like, I think one of the pieces I'm for all event event vendors that you ever work with. And they should technically be doing this as part of hopefully the pre-sale, the onboarding, the event, the event, probably not during the execution itself, but like the implementation. And then especially afterwards, because sometimes it's really nerve wracking. Like you're leading up to the event and they're like, I really want to do it this way. And you're like, well, you're the customer. I'm just going to do it the right way. But I, I expect in the full debrief of the event too, and not only going over the data and things like that, I want them to tell me what to do better. Right, like they're the experts in this platform. They understand how to use it, how we didn't utilize it, what feature didn't get used, what we ignore to do, you know. And also, they've seen so many events, right? And I get it. sometimes like the, the operations people that haven't seen like you know maybe a Dreamforce style event, and you're doing a little small association event, so they can't give you this like, well, Salesforce did it this way, you know, sort of thing. But like, I really want someone to hop on and be like you know what, you didn't really utilize this feature. Like I really recommend for this next time. Hey, even if you don't go with us next time, next time you make sure that you put someone in the chat so they interact with everybody. Your chats were really low. They, they need to tell you what to do better because if you, could, if you knew about that and you knew you could do better, you probably would have just done it in the first place. But a lot of times these platforms that, you know, really can be eye-opening in terms of what's possible. And, you know, when we were a production company primarily focusing on the production aspect of the events, like I always was just like, let me talk to you about your entire event. Like I want to talk to you about your catering. I want to talk to you about your speakers. I want to talk to you about you know the flow of your. I want to. I'm going to give you advice on everything because yeah, take it or leave it. It's advice, <laughs> but you know we see so many events and we have the ability to share this information. I really expect them to do it. If they don't and they just say, yeah, your event was great. Thank you so much for everything. Are you really pushing to be like the next great event? Are you really pushing to evolve as a planner in the future? Like, are you actually learning anything? And do they really ultimately care about the long-term success of your event? Or are they just happy it's over? So that way you can, they can breathe again. <laughs> well, and, you know, what, the, the, the deeper into this universe that we get, the, the, the more event technology and all of the aspects of your event are intertwined. And so, you know, on the surface, it might seem a little weird to, for your AV and production folks to be talking about catering and things like that. But so frequently, to your point, there's times where not only have we seen this really cool thing that worked at another event, but also here's the technology tie-ins and here's, you know, here's what we can do 
with your event app to make X, Y, and Z better? Wouldn't it be great if you took advantage of these features that allow the attendees to put in their meal preferences right into the app that spits it out into a spreadsheet that then lets you give it to catering so that it's all neat and organized and not being done on Post-it notes or flip cards at the table or anything along those lines. And so there's opportunities afterward to have conversations about how else can technology be used to help your event or what little thing could we have added or done differently that would have prevented this whole other problem in a different aspect of your event that you wouldn't necessarily associate with tech. That's such a good point. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I just think like be open to that feedback and do that post analysis and, you know, don't make it just like the, you know, I always love to do it as soon as possible so I can get the feedback from people. But like if you've done a debrief external or internally again, after we've done our debrief and you're like, Hey, I want to talk a little bit more about this and go off. I bet you I'd throw in a free consultation afterwards. Like the more I can help you do that, that also bridges the gap and builds a relationship for you to come back to me next year and the next year and the next year and the next year. Um, and, you know, it, it was funny that I was talking, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, don't, you know, hold your platform, always be open to a new idea, always be willing to switch. But now we're at this point where like the platforms are here to stay, they, they're doing well. And, you know, as long as you were generally happy with it and everything went well and was an absolute mess and they weren't terrible customer service, you know, the more that you use that platform, the more you work with that vendor, the more seamless things will become too, Right. Imagine like someone being able to preemptively uh, address your customer needs. Imagine, you know, not having to go through that sales process again. And I, so I think one of the things is too is to help your customer service as well, as long as you've got good customer service, is, you know, build that relationship for the long term too. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many, uh, my, my mind is just filled with different examples of these, these little things that, you know, had we known in advance or, you know, mm -hmm. that we could have done. There was just one real quick one that I just thought of was uh, these, the, the client brought in these beautiful bars that like lit up. Um, but they brought them in from an external rental company and the production company and AV company didn't know anything about it. And they were, they were gorgeous, but you know, the room was really dim and actually the light up bar kind of blinded people to the, to the point where you couldn't see all the bottles and stuff in the background. So you couldn't see what oh. they had available. So it really slowed the bars down of like, so what do you have? I can't, uh, is that, is that what, what kind of whiskey is that? Like every single person having to ask questions when all we needed to do was add a couple of lights <laughs> to you know to point at the back bar to just totally. to just add a little bit so that it wasn't quite so high contrast like like bright 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 center and then really totally. dark shelves on the thing and they you know the, the things looked cool but just that subtle subtle like had we known they were going to be there we probably would have assigned a couple of lights you know to them on the on the main rig and I'll provide an example on the, the event technology side. You know, like so many times that we get frustrated by all the emails coming. I can't log in. I'm having trouble with the single sign on. I, you know, my password's not working. Hey, where's this feature? I'm lost. I'm a speaker, right? Like I think it's really, really important that either your event technology, some sort of, um, uh, you know, either the event technology company, a uh, producer, something like that. There needs to be like a support desk that's run that just becomes a single source of truth. Like I've seen it so many times where like, oh, hey, yeah, reach out to XYZ software if you have software issues. Reach out to us if you have issues with anything else. Reach out to this company if you're a speaker. 
And then all of a sudden there's like three emails. And what ends up happening is that every single one of those companies gets the wrong answer and has to send it over to the nice per the other person. Whereas reality, like there is solutions and companies available to you now that can be one single support desk for you with event experience that can answer you know speaker questions that you know can kind of field everything but also to answer the hey i can't log in because honestly that's probably the most annoying question we all get that when we're talking with attendees and you know like you said there's so much stuff going around it really you should have a team that's able to answer that question so you're not the as the planner the one answering the question oh well hey here your login's not working all that sort of stuff you know, you reminded me of one more of our day of support. And it's funny because, I, you know, we're, I'm, I'm still out of practice of in-person <laughs> events. And so it didn't occur to me as we were talking about this because I'm so digital mindset right now. Um, but when you've got event apps or event engagement uh, opportunities, anything like that, it's really, really nice to have that person who is a representative of that company on site there mm -hmm. at a help desk. Um, yes. In the big picture, it's not that expensive to have, you know, someone come for the day, stay overnight, you know, you know, add one more room to the hotel, you know, that kind of thing, um, you know, especially on larger events to save yourself the hassle of your staff having to deal mm -hmm. with the questions. If I can't log into the app or I can't do this, I can't do that. I was work. I, I personally was working on site for one of these engagement app companies once. And the, the, the company's head of IT was adamant that the app didn't work. It was just like, this thing doesn't work. I've tried it on multiple browsers. I just, it doesn't work, can't work. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not sure what to tell you. I mean, it, it's, are you connected to the Wi-Fi? Yes, I'm connected to the Wi-Fi. Of course I'm connected to the Wi-Fi. And I like reached down, look at their, look at their phone and they weren't, it, it like was disconnected. <laughs> it wasn't connected to the Wi-Fi. Like we discovered, we discovered there was a hole between the lobby and the convention center, oh, wow. you know, where, where there was this tiny, like literally 10 foot hole where it didn't, where they weren't connected to either one of the Wi-Fi's. And um, this person just happened to have been standing in that hole. And I happened to have been standing in that hole when I was looking in trouble, troubleshooting with them. So oh. just having that person on site. Now that's not something that necessarily then would have been solved by them approaching the event planner. Mm -hmm. um, the event planner then would probably, like you were saying, escalate it to the venue and say, this person can't connect to the Wi-Fi or escalate it to the event company, uh, uh, engagement app company, in which case they're trying to troubleshoot it remotely from a thousand miles away. Totally. So having that person again on site who's there to just white glove and if nothing happens, fantastic, but they're there if you need them. Totally. And, and sometimes that, you know, when you look at events, you might think to yourself, like that person mainly sat there and did nothing, right? Like you might see that I've seen so many events where I'm like, that person's obviously like, they're probably planning their next event or, you know, like advancing their next event or whatever it is, or answering other support questions. Right. But like for the one or two questions, it's going to be a lifesaver for you. Like you said, it's like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you're probably talking a couple thousand dollars in cost totally to do this, but with the peace of mind to say, well, yeah, if you have issues, they're on comms, you can send people that way, you know, you know, the registration people, might not be the same company as the the app company so you you really got to make sure that you're there with that backup and you know again like sometimes i think in the grand scheme of things like let's be honest most people listening to this podcast are not planning two thousand dollar events right they're planning hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes million dollar events you know like that one little tip can be so huge so Amen. love it i love it 
All right. Well, uh, I think it will do it for uh, our rants on customer service. So <laughs> reminder why customer service needs to be the number one killer feature on your event tech. Um, you know, and you know, then you can worry about Web3, all those things like that. Because, hey, you can have the best data security, but if something goes wrong, you don't have good customer service, that's almost just as bad, right? So keep that in mind. Shoot us an email, eventtechpodcast at helloendless.com. We'd love to hear your customer horror stories that you've heard um, or an example of a tip that you have for uh, a better customer service when it comes to events. We'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email. Tag us. Hashtag eventtechpodcast on social media. We'd love to hear from you as well. But Brent, thank you so much for the incredible journey. And uh, I'll always love getting to chat about horror stories we've had as well. But <laughs> Um, thanks so much for being on the podcast. As long as there's a lesson, right? As long as there's a lesson involved, I'm happy to share my, <laughs> my terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. Uh, as long as there's a lesson that we can pull out of it. That's true. That's very true. Well, thanks again to everybody, one of you for listening to the podcast. We appreciate you so much. And you know what? Let's get out of here and we'll see you next time on the Event Tech Podcast. Thanks again for listening to the Event Tech Podcast. Be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app. Also, be sure to head to eventtechpodcast.com and leave us a comment about this week's episode. We'll see you next week on the Event Tech Podcast.